What do you burn for, dear listener? From the mass market paperbacks we read, to the ebooks we download, our thoughts of romance never end. In this episode, your literary hosts find themselves in the ravishing company of romance book author and expert Bo North, where they discuss the romance genre's industrial revolution and universality, as well as discover Erin's animalistic proclivities. Without further ado, talk of the turn the Duke and us, episode 6, A Treatise on the Modern State of Romance. Dear listeners, I'm Erin. And I'm Elle. And we're two of the over 82 million households that fell deep into the Bridgerton series, and we can't like things in a chill way. And in this episode, we're discussing the modern state of romance. And today we are joined by the author of Longborn Songbird, The Colonel, and Modern Love, a staff writer for The Spool, and her review of the Bridgerton Netflix series is a must-read friend of the show, the brilliant, the brazen, the bellabon, Bo North. Wow, thank you for that intro. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I didn't know I was so, I didn't know I was that good, but thank you. Thank yes, you. I'm delighted yes. to be here. We're delighted to have you. Yes. Very excited to have an actual author. <laughs> yeah. Who actually knows romance. <laughs> well, I, whatever expertise I have, I'm, I'm here to lend to you. And we are thankful for it. Yeah. And your Bridgerton review for The Spool is, I think, probably like one of the things that really pushed me into actually first watching it. So, Oh, thank you so much. You are the cause for all of this. (laughs) (laughs) Many thanks. (laughs) And you're welcome, everyone out out there listening now, I guess. (laughs) Got to take this bow. (laughs) We're talking about romance as a genre Mm -hmm. today as a book genre since Bo, you are the expert here when it comes to the romance genre Mm. what are we talking about when we talk about romance as a, a book genre in the modern definition of romance is really competent independent driven people i mean i'm i'm not saying women because romance has really grown past this whole heteronormative gender thing it's still very much like that's the you know sort of the biggest most published area of romance right now but there is a lot more representation as far as men in romance Mm -hmm. non-binary people in romance you know gender undefined pansexual romance so we're really it's expanding so it's really more about independent focused people and flawed people people that have to overcome their own obstacles and overcome their own stuff in order to find a happy fulfilling relationship with a partner or partners depending on (laughs) who you're reading but Mm -hmm. it, it really has changed so much from this I'm a lonely spinster and I need a husband sort of yeah. thing that a lot of that's a misconception I think that a lot of people have from the history of the genre. There was mm-hmm. a bit of that, a lot of that. I could say maybe in the 70s and 80s, you know, you saw that a lot more than you do now. Now it's a lot more women first. It's feminist, it's making strides to encapsulate more 
and represent more of the world that we actually live in. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that interests me most. In the first episode of this podcast, I admitted that I had not really read romance past <laughs> the classics that I had read as a young person. Mm. So my interest in romance is new and has been fueled by Bridgerton. That was the kindling yeah. <laughs> that, that got me going. <laughs> Your and, gateway drug. Yeah, it was my gateway yeah. drug. And Bo has actually kind of been the person who's shepherded me through <laughs> the romance genre. And a lot of her <laughs> recommendations are the basis of where I started. And I still take any recommendation she'll give me. <laughs> she's got great taste in romance books. But yeah, the modern... Modern romance writers are so good, and I see romance as an exploration of emotion, especially in the Mm -hmm. romantic sense, Mm -hmm. and how complex that can be, and like all the complexities within it. Yeah, and that is the heart of it for me. Mm -hmm. And exploring that and the intersectionality of like you know all the people who experience those emotions as well. Right. Yeah, I mean it's such a love and romance and things like that it's such a universal experience it's something that we all I think every human has experienced or can identify with or has Mm -hmm. you know longed for at some point this is something that is so universal that there should be a story out there for everyone Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I think that Things are slowly, slowly, slowly shifting in that direction. And I think Bridgerton has probably done a lot to help make it more of a mainstream thing. Like, hey, we can have this and we can have representation and we can have all of those things. Not to say that the Bridgerton books have representation because I will up front say they do (laughs) not. There are not... Characters of color in Bridgerton, there's not, yeah, no, it's not, it, but the show, you know, has sort of, I think, changed the way people think about how they see romance. And what's great is that romance books that do have that level of inclusion do exist. Mm -hmm. So those stories are out there for people currently. They do exist. And I feel like streaming services and streaming platforms really need to look at that and start to embrace that because those stories deserve to be told as much as your shadows and bone your bridgertons Mm -hmm. these stories deserve just as much spotlight yeah absolutely another thing with romance as a genre again it's emotional intimacy and Mm. that isn't relegated to just romantic emotional intimacy and i think some of the best relationships I've seen depicted in romance books are platonic. They're, you know, mm-hmm. familial. They are, Jane Austen's a <laughs> great, mm-hmm. a, a great person to point to because the, her stories are so much about the relationship between family members mm-hmm. and especially female friendships. Yeah. And they're written so tenderly and are really great reads for that reason because they explore the importance of that kind of emotional intimacy as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the romance element of Austin's books take a backseat to the Mm -hmm. female friendships and the sisterly friendships. And you have Marianne and Eleanor Dashwood. Honestly, they are the central relationship to Sense and Sensibility, like Edward Mm -hmm. Ferrer's Colonel Brandon. All that stuff is like side stuff that happens to their family. (laughs) Total back burner, not as important as that central relationship. And Mm -hmm. that is such an important thing in telling a story with romantic elements because you have to have that support and you have to feel that you can make yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. in order to have true emotional intimacy you have there has to be a vulnerability there 
And you yeah. can't be vulnerable if you don't know you don't have support. So Yeah, it seems like so much of the fantasy in romance that I read almost kind of breaks down to what if you were completely honest about your feelings to a person and you were supported in that. It's so refreshing to see that. Can I ask, Bo, what originally got you into reading romance? before? Like, I'm assuming you were a romance reader before you became a romance writer. Yeah, actually, I <laughs> I would have to give this up to my Aunt Betty. What's up, Aunt Betty? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used to spend summers with her, and I think I must have been about 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And I grabbed a copy of one of her romance novels. It was Jude Devereaux's A Knight in Shining Armor, oh. which is, it's a classic. It's a banger. It does not have modern sensibilities. <laughs> I imagine. Sure. Just know that going into it. It is absolutely bananas ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous book you could read. But it really did sort of open the door for me for romance. And after that, yeah. I was like, hooked i did kind of go through my rebellious phase where i dropped everything that was a very serious reading so right, right. <laughs> romance has kind of been woven into the fabric of my life since i was a, a young person oh, i love that one of the things that i wanted to talk about was that there's essentially a romance book out there for you whatever mm -hmm. your interest is mm -hmm. uh because we have our general genres right you yeah. have your crime your fantasy sci-fi horror romance yeah. those are kind of the big tent poles of book genres and the nice thing about romance and i think something that isn't well understood about romance is that people who either don't read it or just kind of dismiss it think of it as only a love story right mm. just emotional slop yeah when really romance has the ability to pull from all of those genres <laughs> and oh absolutely and create really lovely complex characters and plots that are genre bending and blending and create really interesting stories yeah i've mm -hmm. i mean there are tropes and whatnot there are some similar plot lines that i've read through but as you both know i've been on an incredible binge <laughs> um <laughs> and in the 80 some romance books that i've read <laughs> this year that's nuts, <laughs> yeah, nuts. I, there's something wrong with me but <laughs> the variety of story in those is incredible. And just the variety in general is incredible. So whatever you're into, whatever kind of mix of themes and tropes that you're into, somebody's out there writing well on that trope mm -hmm. or on that theme. Yeah, there are so many subgenres of romance. Mm -hmm. It really would spin your head to think about, you know, you have romance, you've got historical romance, mm -hmm. and then there are subgenres within historical, like, you know, historical, straight up historical, steampunk historical, then you've got different era historical. So like not Regency or Victorian, but maybe something that's medieval or mm -hmm. all kinds. Of, and then you've got like romantic mystery. That's a big, big, big yeah. part of romance right now. Romantic mystery. You have military romance, which... Doesn't really do it for me, but a lot of people yeah. love it. There's sports yeah. romance. There's oh, those hockey books. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. The <laughs> people uh, love those hockey books. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a series by, oh my gosh, I feel like an ass because I'm blanking on her name right now, but they're the, <laughs> it's the Hoops Trilogy is what it's called. And it's mm -hmm. Longshot is the first one. I know this. Hang on. I'm Hoops reminds me of um, that one contestant on flavor of love <laughs> do you remember it was like hoops and pumpkin i remember pumpkin oh 
sorry it's kennedy ryan yeah so okay. she's got like oh cool hook shot long shot and these books these are sports romance and i don't do sports romance but i read that first one and it was just blew me away it was angsty it was dealing with past trauma and abusive relationships and it had this beautiful beautiful love story in it but at the same time like it it was kind of a difficult a challenging read i would say but Mm. i mean there for to be like a a romance novel about a basketball player i mean and it was just this beautiful layered complex book so i mean even if it's something that you don't think you would like, I would still say, mm-hmm. like, give it a try. Because nine times out of ten, there's going to be something in it for you. Oh, yeah. That's kind yeah, of one of my great. favorite things, reading through romance books and exploring and, and trying out different genres. Because a, a lot of what I started with was Regency Victorian historical romance. Mm. And I've been actively trying to branch out into different things. And even things that I I don't necessarily think are my thing. Mm. But one of my favorite things that can happen in reading books is having a book slap me upside the head and be like, yeah, you're dumb. You do like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of that with romance is the stigma that's attached to romance. I mean, yeah. it's just, and it's the same thing with like young adult fiction, I find a lot. If it's mm-hmm. anything that's like mm-hmm. enjoyed predominantly by women, or marginalized Mm -hmm. groups, it gets completely shit on. Sorry, can I curse Mm -hmm. on this? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just gets completely dumped on by everybody if it's something that women or teenage girls enjoy. Like, look, I'm not saying Twilight's perfect, but it got millions and millions of teen girls reading books, you know? Mm -hmm. And say what you will about it, I count that as a win. Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, paranormal... Romance is also just a large slice of the pie. People like it. Big time. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a huge Venn diagram of like Mm sci-fi readers and romance readers. That's what seems like a natural Mm -hmm. pairing. One thing I noticed in a couple of romance books that I've read recently is that I've been surprised at how often and how well done. I mean, not surprised in like a, I didn't think they could write this (laughs) way, but just like I, you know, it was just an element I wasn't expecting was how often other mental and emotional issues are brought up as either a barrier or like a source of conflict Mm. or a source of personal conflict or whatever. Like, so for instance, there was one and I'm looking to see, it was, it was like just like a fun Christmas one that Mm -hmm. I found that I read around Christmas and it was a heterosexual romance. The male character had had suffered like some PTSD Mm. and that became like part of the obstacle in which he and then the woman that he was seeing had to like overcome in order for them to, you know, fully fall in love. And that's, you know, one of a few that I've seen who have like anxiety or like some kind of traumatic past. Mm -hmm. Though I know in Modern Love, one of the characters had suffered some addiction Mm -hmm. issues. And I just love that because that's true. That's, you know, if you are dating someone or falling in love with someone, each of you brings your own bag of shit with yeah. you <laughs> that you have to work through together. And I just thought that was such a sweet inclusion in romance Yeah, books. I mean, I think that people with, a, especially I think addiction is something that really is not represented much 
in mm-hmm. in romance. I mean, you see it in other genres, I guess, and it's sort of always like this gritty sort of thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, there are people, there are millions of people out there struggling with addiction and recovery, and those people are just people, and they deserve Mm-hmm. to be loved as much as anyone else they deserve a love story in addition to gritty i feel like on you know if you see it on screen sometimes it's even like sexy yeah. like someone yeah. has this sexy addiction or whatever it's like no this is like a very real thing that people have to work through in order to live their lives yeah yeah it's almost as though the addiction itself gets romanticized mm-hmm. into, into being something that it's not yeah. for a lot of people especially in recovery it's like just it's this simmering thing on their back burner all the time <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all I wanted to do was tell that story in a realistic and respectful way. Yeah, you did it very well. Thanks. (laughs) I love that book. One of the things that I think is important to point out is the massive appeal of romance books. It cannot be denied. People can kind of shrug it off and dismiss it and treat it badly, talk about it badly. But it's still a third of the publishing industry, yeah. so... Yeah, you cannot deny the numbers. <laughs> the numbers are there. Mm-hmm. It is, as Bo said, it's a third of the publishing industry. It represents a third of what the publishing industry brings in in revenue per year, which is when you consider all of the different genres that we listed earlier, it out <laughs> it outpaces all mm-hmm. of them by that mm-hmm. metric. I pulled some of the Nielsen pulls some data on on romance books and more than half of the mass market paperbacks sold in the u.s are romance yeah apparently 39 percent of all ebooks at least in 2014 were romance and that number appears to be growing uh, yeah i would say that number's probably got to be higher at this point also romance pulls in well over a billion dollars in sales a mm-hmm. year it is a huge huge market you cannot deny those numbers that it does have appeal mm-hmm. But, you know, something about commercial success that can be a little bit of a double-edged sword is that the critical reception <laughs> can kind mm-hmm. of be inverse to the, the commercial success. Yeah. Where because it's popular, people could point to it and say, well, it's popular because it's base. <laughs> it it right. appeals to something base in people, which is kind of sucky. Yeah. <laughs> Look, so was Golden Girls, but there's still episodes of Golden Girls yeah. that make me cry. So, yeah, yeah. Ooh, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. And, and Golden well, Girls like, is forever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like top 40 radio. Exactly. Like people listen, listen to, you know, pop music. It's popular <laughs> for a reason. It's yeah. like, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. And I think, too, you know, because it's a genre that's traditionally been dominated by women, like a lot of the authors mm-hmm. in this genre are mm-hmm. women. Traditionally, they had written these books for other women. So there is that sense of, as you said, Bo, that we can dismiss it because it's yeah. It must be less than. Mm-hmm. Also, they deal with soft things, quote unquote. <laughs> it deals with emotion and love. And those are, unfortunately, in our society, kind of seen as weak things mm-hmm. to worry about, to think about, to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or frivolous, even. Yeah, frivolous. Mm-hmm. The fact that a lot of these romance books include sex which is really a weird thing to be prudish about (laughs) don't get me started you guys no that's why you're here yeah Yeah. i just started there's sort of this there's this thing right now where people and it's mostly in like a historical romance sort of subgenres. people are there's a a, sort of a faction i will say of authors that are (laughs) describe their books as clean romance and i absolutely oh, that's a, i hate oh, this stupid yeah. designation so, 
I've seen yeah. that in reviews, in professional reviews, and I didn't know if it was just like a like a librarian no, thing. Because you know, a... sometimes people do want to know if there's whatever mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there's like common sense media and stuff sure. like that that people want to know content or whatever. So uh, that's interesting because I didn't realize that that was like a universal descriptor that people are using. Um, I I don't want it to be honestly. I I right, abhor right, right. the term clean to describe a romance. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I, I, I don't mind chaste. Yeah. Like if you if chaste romance is your thing, great, you know, yeah. great. But it's clean is just a bad word. You're in, yeah, right. It implies that sex is dirty, dirty as yeah. otherwise, right? Which right. you know it can be. It certainly can be dirty, but it also we're human beings and we have to connect on an emotional level. And when you have the emotional and the physical connection happening, if it you know, and I'm not saying that frivolous frivolous sex on the page cannot be fun because it totally can but if it's in service I feel like to the story to advancing the story and advancing these Mm -hmm. characters then there's nothing frivolous about that you know it's it's a a part of human life and nobody very few I will say people have gone through their entire life without that experience sometimes I think about the cognitive dissonance of (laughs) it Mm -hmm. because to wage that kind of criticism against books that contain sex Mm -hmm. in it as though that is something that is automatically if it contains sex then it is trash Mm -hmm. right that's kind of the the feel that some people have but when you look at art in general uh, other other form any other form of art and how much sex has to do with that sex has to do with the majority sex and love are the majority of our expression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look at the majority of the content of the songs mm-hmm. that we listen to as human beings, they have to do with love and yeah. sex. Go back, even poetry. I mean, go back to the, like 18th century poetry. Go back to the romantics. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of it is about the natural world and everything, but there's lots of love in there too. I mean, love mm-hmm. is yeah. not a new concept. <laughs> this, and no. neither is sex. So this is a thing. And particular this is the thing that gets my goat this is the thing i'm going to tell you what gets my goat is <laughs> non-heteronormative relationships being described as a modern sensibility that's bullshit mm. yeah. because yeah. there have been trans people non-binary people gay people since there have been people like mm-hmm. it is not a new thing. Please stop to say it's mm-hmm. it's belittling that people say, "Oh, I this wasn't historically accurate because there were gay people." I'm like, "Hello. Right. <laughs> Let me introduce you to my friend Sappho." <laughs> well, yeah, and it's the thing and the thing of it is too, it's like one denying the fact that gay people existed mm-hmm. back then. It really is just that society, you know, depending on when, were not as accepting of people being out mm-hmm. right during certain most times uh in history at least western culture i can really only speak to, <laughs> to western culture sure but the fact is they existed there was still art about that at that time and also the other big thing is people writing today modern writers know better mm-hmm. and also what they're writing is fantasy I don't. I do not. I do not care if it's historical. <laughs> it is fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And in your fantasy, no matter how perfectly dry and historical you make your romance book, if you're trying to be the most accurate historical romance writer on this planet, is going to contain anachronisms. Mm-hmm. And why not let one of those anachronisms be a great queer romance? Yeah. 
How about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the thing about sex in... It's weird because, like, I know, you know, speaking just from my expertise as a children's librarian, like, people get real weird about sex in any books. <laughs> yep. Like, it's just, like, that. it's, like, number one thing that's the, why things are censored mm-hmm. um, or attempted to be censored. I could have the same book contain, you know, a really violent scene of a kid bullying another kid and, like, you know, whatever, but there, you know, happens to be a child that has two moms or something. <laughs> We're going to get a comment about the two moms, and it's, it's because... They're implied they're having sex. Like, it's just, like, it's ridiculous how, like what, all, how that what, spans. Like, what, is my kid supposed to read this like it's normal? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, excuse you? Yeah. But, like, the fact that that also exists in the romance genre among, you know, some writers mm-hmm. and, and readers is just, I don't know. It's it's not surprising to me, but it's disheartening. Oh, yeah. I've, like... I've been called gutter trash. <laughs> oh, <gosh>. oh, no. <laughs> my books have been called gutter trash before, so it's fine. And my books are not. I don't have that much sex in my books at all. And no, it's, you really don't. It's and like, it is no. not explicit. So the fact that anyone would be offended by the sex in my books is hilarious to me. Right. That's wild. And it, it is one thing, like if you prefer, you personally prefer chaste romances mm-hmm. where you have a Austin level of maybe they kiss. Or, you know, you could be <laughs> that, ASO and maybe that's yeah. just, mm-hmm. you know, not your thing. That's fine. Yeah. That's totally fine. You can still read a book where people yeah. develop a deep emotional bond without yeah. the sexual element if if that's your bag that's fine but don't call it clean mm-hmm. exactly right, and right. don't go into like other people's bag mm-hmm. and be like why do you have this in your bag yeah. why do you yeah. have this dirty stuff in your I bag will and say, it's like, stop looking in my bag i have a theory <laughs> that people that don't like sex in books are because they've the only sex scenes they've read in books are written by men and i just want to yep. say up mm-hmm. front i don't think men should write sex i don't think they do a good job of it like I have yet to read a sex scene written by a man that I was like, "Ooh, that's good stuff." Ever, ever. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. know. That sounds misinterest of me, but you know. Well, it, Bo, it... do I have a recommendation for you? Because <laughs> I had that same. I'm. I mean, we've talked about this, and I've joked, and it is a misinterest joke. I will be completely honest about the misandry of it yeah. all. But I have joked before that maybe I'm only attracted to men written by women. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, like, maybe that, like, are just men written by non Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think that might have something. I did recently read a book that did that thing that books do and just slapped me upside the head and said, no, you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get into that oh, later. Okay. So, I guess one of the things, too, and that doesn't necessarily help the romance genre <laughs> out is the book covers. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. For me personally, that was kind of part of a, a turnoff for like reading like any sort of romance written by a modern mm-hmm. author is the covers were so there's a specific type, mm. right? Where it's like usually kind of a bare chested <laughs> or like clothes falling off. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> and a woman whose breasts are just like. See, that was always the appeal for me. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, really? I always love those. I love fantasy. I love to be swept up in fantasy. And a lot of these book covers are so fantastical that it's just, I don't know, for my teenage brain, I mean, I think it just sort of hardwired at the time, like seeing mm-hmm. these covers and being like, this is good. <laughs> that I am. <laughs> like, this is what yeah, I want. <laughs> that when we sort of moved to like the headless male torso covers, I was like, oh, 
<laughs> and now oh, yeah. it's, those are those are even more just and now honestly. it's like and now it's all like the cartoon covers which are pretty mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like come on we're not <laughs> cartoons <laughs> like i like seeing people on the cover the old ones like the fob like the fabio oh, ones yeah mm-hmm. It's funny you say swept away because they literally always look like they li- like are being like there's yeah, a wind machine oh, yeah. going yeah, on. Absolutely. Which is kind of like it's this weird almost like pop art because it's like there's something kind of renaissance-y about mm-hmm. how they're painted and you absolutely know, or photographed and then painted over top or however they this do is it. one of the things um, that drew yeah. me to Scarlet Peckham's The Rakus is that it sort of took that oh. it took that trope mm-hmm. actually even with the cover. Because it is like an inverted rake story. And it took mm-hmm. that and, and inverted it on the cover as well and had the woman in the dominant position and the man sort right. of like kneeling in front of her. And, you know, there's all this windswept hair and, you know, gown flowing and all of that. And it's... It is extremely windswept. Oh, it's... Yeah, it's a great It's that's so a great good. Cover. Like, <laughs> that was one of your recommendations to me and I did enjoy and it. And crazy, I still I have not it. actually started it. I just knew that it was that every people I trusted have said, this is great. You need to read it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to it. <laughs> I'm getting to it. <laughs> it's been, I'm 2020 and 2021 have not been the most conducive to my reading. So I'm just mm-hmm. getting back into it. And I'm sure I, I'm getting to a point that is getting a bit frustrating. I, I'm starting to get a to be read pile <laughs> yeah. going. It's like, I don't have enough time. (laughs) I need more time to get all these books in. It's interesting as someone who's worked in a library to see how the book covers have changed because we, we have learned some tricks to like create these like readers advisory things for customers who maybe don't know what they're looking for. Cause like (laughs) as much as I would love to, Elle said, there's not enough time. I would love to read everything in the library, but I haven't. (laughs) If someone has, you know, come up to the desk and, like, wants a sweet romance or mm-hmm. or maybe they even do say, like, chaste mm-hmm. romance or something or they want, you know, a fantasy romance or whatever, like, I feel like the they do such a great job of, like, showing you what you're going to mm-hmm. get. Like, a, you know, you can tell a paranormal romance from an Amish romance. <laughs> like, yeah. Literally, like, you can look by side by side and, like, anyone with two pairs of, you know, a pair of eyes yeah. can, like, look and see. Absolutely. Um, You're not going to mistake so one it's, for the other. Yeah, so it's, like, very interesting. And I don't know, I just think it's, like, great marketing. Like, they've got a great marketing strategy. I know the, the, the latest trend of them being, like, these illustrations with these, like, pop colors mm-hmm. is beautiful, but... It's very confusing because <laughs> it looks a lot like like literary fiction yeah. or even young adult fi- young adult fiction and stuff like that. So sometimes it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to have sex <laughs> here for you. I don't know if they're going to time travel. Like, I really can't tell yeah. you anything about I'm that. I'm even we have seeing to read like, the cover. some of Tessa Dare's earlier books being turned into illustrated covers. And it's mm. sad oh, because really? I really adore those earlier covers. I, I don't know. Yeah. And there's some romance authors' names like Tessa Dare and Sarah. Is it Sarah McLean? Yeah, Sarah McLean. Um, like that, you can just like see. Each, I I just want to see their letters of their mm-hmm. name on. You know, this I don't want to see them on like a pop culture. You know, pop art, whatever. No, absolutely it's interesting. Yeah, it's funny because I'm a bit of the opposite opinion. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I enjoy traditional romance covers as a form of pop art, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I appreciate them for what they are, 
but the kind of cartoonization <laughs> of mm-hmm. the romance covers. I, and I don't know why, because you're right. Like, it, it is smart to market these books and put them out front what they are. And that's why they a lot of the covers look the way that they do, because they all read a very specific way. But uh, for some reason, my brain, I'm like, yeah, just make it completely nondescript. Just make them blobs and I'll, I'll fill in the rest. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll, I'll do, let me do the work and I'll, I'll do that and just kind of just give me a couple shapes. <laughs> and I'm good. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm just putting Reggae on page in every, <laughs> every male character. And not even necessarily myself and the female character mm-hmm. that's a heterosexual book. Um, just, I just want to see more of him. Oh, so. sure. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Yum. And now an ad from the former colony. We could prattle on about the scientific studies that have been conducted on the efficacy of Hood's sarsaparilla on various medical ailments. We could do a deep dive into the various methodologies of the many published works in peer-reviewed scientific journals which support Hood's claims 100%. However, we know you're not here for all that blah 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 science. So let's hear straight from the consumers. Hood sarsaparilla is the strongest sarsaparilla I ever saw. L.J. Clement. I have been troubled with scrofula since childhood. Three years ago, I commended taking Hood's sarsaparilla, and in one year's time, I was entirely cured. Mrs. Mary Parkman. I have never found anything that mm, hits my wants as Hood Sarsaparilla. It tones up my system and mm, purifies my blood and sharpens my appetite and seems to make me over. J.P. Thompson sent to any address postpaid on receipt of 25 cents by C.I. Hood & Company Apothecaries or... Order Hood Sarsaparilla at your local druggist today. We talked a little bit about how modern sensibilities are changing mm. when it comes to writers and what the audience wants. Even yeah. we're just not as accepting of casual racism, right? <laughs> right. Or transphobia, or any any of those things, and we want to see stories from people with different worldviews and different experiences as mm-hmm. well, and so. I am tangentially aware of some of the changes that have been happening at the higher level organizationally for romance writers. Mm-hmm. But, Bo, I think you're more in tune with what happened with, what is it, the writers? Oh, RWA. Yeah, RWA and like that whole debacle. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they're still not getting it right. It's still it's still <laughs> a struggle. I'm, not, I'm actually no longer a member of RWA. I was part of the mass exodus <laughs> that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to break it down for those who don't know, Christmas Eve 2019, Alyssa Cole tweeted out that Courtney Milan, who is a very, 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 very popular romance novelist and has been very mm-hmm. active in, like she was in leadership of the organization of RWA for years and years and years. And she's one of the most active members in trying to bring RWA into the 21st century, make it more inclusive, make the awards more inclusive, make the readership more inclusive. And Mm -hmm. 
she was such an integral part of that. But, you know, the mm-hmm. leadership, the the president and all of that, they were very, they don't like conflict as a thing. Like RWA used to have a standing order that if you were a member and you're on social media, you couldn't be quote unquote mean. You had to be nice. And fuck that. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody's going to tell me how to act, first of all. But like, yes, I can be professional, but this is my time. This is my space. Yeah, mean is such a relative term. Yeah. And just for context, for anybody who's not familiar with RWA, that's the Romance Writers of America. What did they do? do and what was their place with authors? it was a it you know it started out what funny enough it was founded by vivian stevens who was a black woman she and a and an, oh. yeah oh, wow. and an author and she started this organization as a way for romance writers to sort of join forces you know like mm-hmm. find talk, talk shop. shop have workshops network within the industry you know publishers started getting involved agents editors things like that grew and grew and grew and as it grew it became more white more conservative Mm -hmm. you know like as things tend have a tendency to do so like i believe it was oh gosh i think it might have been like two no i can't remember exactly when but there was one rwa conference and like the the agm Mm -hmm. is a very big deal because it's probably the industry's biggest event you have publishers are represented every romance publisher you can think of Um, new publishers are out there indie publishers are out there agents are there editors are there acquiring editors authors aspiring authors and the thing about rwa that was different from any of the other author-based organizations was that it took members that were aspiring authors you didn't have to be published and you didn't have to have a record number of sales to Mm -hmm. join like i i joined and i think it was you had to have show that you had at least a thousand dollars in sales for one particular book and Mm -hmm. you could be a member Mm -hmm. but you could join like as a as another like that's a for the professional area network the pan membership but you could be a general Mm -hmm. member if you were just Mm -hmm. a fan of romance and said sure one day i might write one so anyone could join it was a that was what made it different from like say sfwa but yeah it did it got more conservative and it got whiter as it went on and at one of the agms suzanne brockman was the mc and she it was right at the time where they come out and said, you know, sex le- or the, the leadership of RWA had come out and said, we define sex as being between a man and a woman. And Susan, what? yeah, uh, yeah, this was, I think it was like 90, 1994 or something like that. And Suzanne Brockman was already writing gay characters in her books. Like, what and why? Yeah. Why Why feel the need? And she, like, I think that... It's probably some weird thing with the AIDS epidemic or yeah. something. Oh, That's the only maybe. thing I can think of as far well, as, Well, like, this time. was around the time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That's yeah. true. So, yeah. And I think, like, this was the point when Nora Roberts was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm not doing this yeah, anymore. <laughs> so, you know... Wow. I didn't know that she... Oh, yeah. She's not been a member of her... For years and years, oh. she... Now, this is something I will say only once about Nora Roberts. <laughs> Good for her. Because otherwise, <laughs> she lives very close to where I live. And she's like, I don't know. People have a lot of feelings about her. I mean, I can see that. But at the same time, Nora Roberts is a fierce champion 
for romance yeah. and she's a fierce champion for the underdog in romance so mm-hmm. you know gay authors uh authors of color she has been like an ally so i will oh, i will awesome. say that and she has done a lot for literacy that was one of the things that rwa was good for was that it promoted lit- adult literacy programs so oh, that's awesome yeah. yeah so what happened then fast forward to a year or two <laughs> yeah. ago and they have this rule where you have to be nice if <laughs> online if you're <laughs> representing rwa yeah. in any way and courtney milan fucks them all up yeah she basically was someone asked her you know, what are your thoughts on this book that came out in like 98, 99? And mm-hmm. she said, it's a fucking racist mess. It's a, it's a book that was written by a white woman about mm. a half Asian character. And this woman had no business writing about these characters. And Courtney Milan was like, look, Asian women and Asian American women face exponentially more violence and mm-hmm. domestic abuse than non-Asian women, like white women, basically. So writing things like this, writing some of these stereotypes is actually phys- is actually harmful, is actually mm-hmm. damaging. Mm-hmm. So don't do it, basically, was her thing. And mm-hmm. the author and her publisher both filed a formal complaint against Courtney. And <laughs> Courtney, at the time, was the head of the RWA Ethics Committee. So they formed a secret shadow ethics committee to vote to censure her and like none of the actual ethics committee was aware of this and then this story broke and everyone (laughs) basically resigned and said this is bullshit they decided they were going to Courtney Milan could no longer hold a leadership position she was not allowed to participate for like six months and then she could rejoin or something like that why would you want As to? If, yeah. yeah, I mean that was basically her thing. She was like, "Well, fuck you." <laughs> you know, I've put in. <laughs> yeah, she put in something like nine to twelve years in leadership Jesus in this org, Christ. and it's voluntary. You don't get paid for these hours that you put yeah. in. Wow. So, it was a big, big to do, and then once that happened, it sort of snowballed into highlighting of the long standing passive-aggressive white nonsense that had been going on within Mm -hmm. the organization Mm -hmm. for years and years and years. Because Beverly Jenkins is a legend, and she got a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Rita ceremony a few years ago, but she never actually won a Rita Award because they're judged, the book's entries are judged by the membership, and the membership is largely white women. So... Mm. You know, if you were an author of color, good luck to you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. yeah so that was like a token award they were yeah. giving her. Yeah, like. pretty much. I mean. Ugh. Like you're not good enough to actually win based off any of your one they books. They did not right. recognize have, that you've done a lot of right. work. <laughs> a woman of yeah. color. And we want to look good making. Had yeah. not won book of the year, Rita, mm-hmm. until 2019. Yeah. Wow. Was that after the fallout? Just before. It was RWA? just before. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what did Alyssa Cole originally tweet out then? She, she tweeted, was just like, like she break the this story? is bullshit. Courtney has, gotcha. has been, you know, one of the people that has fostered my career and other, you mm-hmm. know, authors of color. Like, we've 
we've been out here and she's been like doing the work for us. And for them to do that is such a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Especially when what they're doing it over mm-hmm. is so, why would you censure someone who's basically all they're saying is, hey, if you're a white person, just don't have Chinese characters <laughs> where you talk about their almond yeah. eyes and their yellow skin. So, don't do that. Funny, like, that's funny gross. enough. <laughs> It was because she called the book a fucking racist mess. It was the fucking that they really took issue with. <laughs> wow. So it, was a, it was a language yeah, issue. Yeah, <laughs> um, because it wasn't nice. It wasn't, I'm using air yeah. quotes here. You can't see me, but it wasn't yeah. right, right, right. civil. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that. It's, it's that white lady sort of tone policing. Oh, absolutely. It's that standard, it's not what you said. It's how you said right. it. It's how you said it. Right. Yeah jerk off motion yeah Yeah. ridiculous and i recommend if you want to sort of delve into that whole affair it it's fascinating Mm -hmm. the author claire ryan has on her website i think it's just claireryan.com she has a whole detailed timeline of events of and it's incredibly detailed i remember reading when when all that first happened i remember i think you probably because you shared Mm -hmm. it shared a link to that reading kind of as it was happening but i should go back and like recheck it to see like what's happened since i left yeah it really snowballed to the point where they ended up ousting the president Mm -hmm. and most of the leadership uh yeah we're gone but as i I said they they are still not getting it right (laughs) because right yeah because it was still a lot of mostly white authors getting they even changed the name of the award to the vivian to you know, sort of uh, recognize oh Vivian Stevens. Like yeah. And wow. yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what happened. And it's kind of bullshit. So I'm yeah. still not a member and I don't know that I'll come back. And now they're like, they couldn't hold the conference last year because of COVID. And also because mm-hmm. like most everyone quit and all of the publishers <laughs> were like, Oh, we don't want any part of this. So, yeah. You're like a yeah. hot mess. They had the hotel like booked years in advance and mm-hmm. the thing is is that they'll lose a ton of money if they don't hold the conference so they're now calling it a retreat if you oh, want to come oh you boy. can and but you still have to pay them like four hundred dollars to go so yeah. no thank you True. that's why no thanks oh my goodness and also like it's just very interesting times that we're living in because that's you know a little bit of a historical event that's happening currently yeah. oh yeah within romance writing and like the world of romance writing yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, this this whole thing has just, it had implications that reached across other genres. I mean, it was it was a big deal at the time. Another thing that's interesting, too, where the landscape is changing is independent publishers, independent authors, mm-hmm. and big publishers. Like, the, there mm-hmm. is a big shift that seems to be happening in publishing mm-hmm. as to who has the power. <laughs> Because it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's so much easier now to, to get a book out there. Yeah. I mean, getting readership is another. <laughs> as yeah, a, that's, a, that's a whole as other a thing. As a self-published author, <laughs> I can say, like, you know, I, I have one book that was published or several that have been published, like, by Indie Press. But at the same time, like, mm-hmm. I have self-published work out there. And you really kind of have to be a marketing whiz to make a real go mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um I, that's my takeaway from it. I'm not a marketing whiz, so my sales are great. 
But <laughs> but I think that's just, you know, it, I'm not a nobody. I'm not an unknown. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of, it takes time. It takes longer than it did if you're traditionally, but I will say this, traditionally published authors at this, they have kind of the same struggle because mm-hmm. publishers will pick like a small handful of books that they're going to yeah. promo from new authors. So even like Avon, Avon oh, yeah. Publishing, which is huge, is probably one of the biggest of the romance publishers. They, you know, will pick like three or four books to promote. And then there'll be all these other new new authors and new people like being signed on to Avon that you don't even know about because you only heard about right. these three, these four you know, I'm thinking about it, the amount of authors who are household mm-hmm. names is so incredibly small. Yeah. Like, it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough, I think. It's tough to break out in writing mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. Well, like anything, I mean, I think that, like, the success really lies in that word of mouth mm-hmm. recommendation. Like, we, you know, I know the three of us do mm-hmm. that to, you know, we make recommendations to each other and another group of friends that we have. And, like, at, you know, at the library, that's certainly... I've definitely seen, you know, just because it's become popular for whatever reason, um, someone like a book club covered it or something like that. And like, it could be, you know, it doesn't have to be like the latest Stephen King. (laughs) Like that's, he's already going to get the press. Like, don't worry (laughs) about that. But like, it's, you know, it's, that's why it's, I think it's really great just to talk about books in general because you do get that like word of mouth advisory. Absolutely. And I think a lot of success you know, it in this industry, like any other industry, is less how hard you work and more like who you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> and a great, yep. like a good amount of chance too. Uh, like it, I feel like there's so much yeah. timing mm-hmm. <laughs> and like just striking the right mood at the right time yeah. because you can write something that's really good, but just people are over that kind of storyline, mm-hmm. that kind of theme. Or, or, like, beat it to the ground. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. back to Twilight. Like, how many books came out about, like, you know, Teen vampires, a vampire falling in love werewolves. or, like, a werewolf, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, and I, then, like, I remember making angels a joke. became the big thing for a while there. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember making a joke because I was, um, that was, like, when I first started reading, like, young adult books was that, that you know, that book had become very popular. And uh, I was like, I'm going to make a buttload of money out of a Yeti romance. <laughs> like, just you watch. I'm going to write a Yeti romance. Teen Yeti I bet romance. there's one out there. Um, it's, yeah, there's got to yeah. be. <laughs> like, there is literally something for everyone. I, I think that happened yeah, think... a lot, too, in the, like, in the early aughts. Paranormal romance was so huge. Mm-hmm. It was so big. Yeah. And it's... It's not as big now as it was then. I mean, it still has a very devoted following, but it's not, mm-hmm. you know, the main staple of romance. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. listening to an interview with Sierra Simone, even, where she mm-hmm. experienced that, where she had this new Camelot series that is based on the Arthurian tales, but in a modern mm-hmm. setting. And so she had this new Camelot series, and she loved it a lot. But the problem was she wrote it and released it, the theme of it was like they were, I think the it's like called American King, yeah. the first American one, King. and then American Prince, American Queen, yeah. yeah. They're 
centered in politics. It, it takes place in the world of politics. And they were released right around when Trump <laughs> <laughs> was elected. Yeah. And, she's like, and she realized, like, oh, nobody's going to want a politics story. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to make light of this. Like, the, the election of Donald Trump, like Donald Trump presidency, it really did more to advance the way men were written in romance mm-hmm. than anything else I've mm. seen in my lifetime because so many authors were like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not writing this guy to be like this alpha male asshole yeah. because we yeah. have too many of those, obviously. Yes. <laughs> so, and we don't need to romanticize something. Right. I mean, the whole alpha male thing is kind of definitely <laughs> kind of gone the way of the dodo at this point, like, and, and good riddance yeah. to them. It's yeah. Wayne, and I think that in order to write an alpha male type character that anybody today is going to to be into, mm-hmm. they also have to be deep down very caring and protective of the people around. Like, they have to be, like, decent mm-hmm. people <laughs> as well. Right, like caregivers. Yeah, being yeah. alpha isn't being mean. Right. Alpha has changed in a way, too. People who still write that, I think they write it differently yeah. now. Where they have to be, at their core, people who care about the people around them. Yeah. And aren't just assholes to everybody. Because <laughs> right. that's not hot. Right. <laughs> it's not sexy at all. One of my favorite books that I read in the past couple of years was Rafe, A Buff Male Nanny by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Ooh. She's Ooh. so good. I love Rebecca Weatherspoon. Oh, I think you've recommended that one to me. I need to read it's it. It's so good. But it is what it, you know, it delivers on its promise. He is a buff male nanny. But <laughs> he is, he does have like <laughs> shades of the alpha male. And at one point in the book, he actually says... I'm not nice, but I'm not an asshole. And there yeah. is a difference between oh. the two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not nice, but I'm not an asshole. That's a good recommendation for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm an in-between. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about the way that books are changing, the way that what audiences want is changing, and the way that we're today trying to do more to support different voices in books in general we want to hear people who have had those experiences we don't want to necessarily hear what a white lady (laughs) thinks about chinese people (laughs) (laughs) just don't write about cultures you don't actually yeah please (laughs) and if you're gonna do it put in put in the research put in the fucking yeah like there's you can do it sensitively yeah (laughs) like it's actually not doesn't seem that hard to not be racist i highly recommend sensitivity (laughs) readers just do it yeah oh yeah yeah have people of that culture especially read Mm -hmm. (laughs) your early versions (laughs) sure yeah because you don't want to be putting stuff out there that's just gonna offend a bunch of people right exactly unless that's your purpose (laughs) i guess (laughs) yeah to like alienate your audience then you do you (laughs) yeah so, Bo, you are our expert here. Why don't you take it away? What are your recommendations for authors who we should be paying attention to, who maybe we're not that familiar with? I mentioned before Beverly Jenkins. She is a legend. And I actually have, like, a list mm-hmm. of books. Do you want me to recommend these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Let's do book recommendations. Okay, so I, I broke it down into two categories, historical and contemporary. I don't actually have any recs for paranormal or um, mm-hmm. young adult I can probably recommend some in erotica. I mean, like, definitely Sierra Simone. Definitely Kit Rocha. If you haven't read Kit Rocha, those are very dirty books. (laughs) Like, not to to call it dirty, but, you know, those are very steamy books. I'm sorry. Sierra Simone's Priest is a theological text. So, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Priest? Oh, my 
God. Anyway, okay, so but we're yeah. not here to talk about Brie. Um, yeah, no. So I want to recommend Forbidden. This is by Beverly Jenkins. It's a post-Civil War Western romance mm. between a saloon owner who is white passing but is the son of a slave and a landowner. So take that what you will. Make of that what you will. Mm-hmm. But his whole goal is to change the way this town sort of sees black people at the time mm-hmm. and to mm. include them and combat the racism from within. That's what he's using his white privilege for. But then he finds this woman. She's a cook. She was on her way to San Francisco. Her stagecoach was robbed and she's kind of left for dead. And he comes across her and, you know, she's a dark-skinned woman. And if he makes this romance a thing, if he follows his heart, it's going to affect, you know, the work he's trying to do in his life. And it's so good, so smart. Beverly Jenkins really writes the best non-white historical romances. And I really, really recommend anything by her. Okay. That's great. Yeah, I'd never heard of her. The Loyal League series by Alyssa Cole. Alyssa Cole, just an amazing writer, top to bottom. Yeah, I love Alyssa. I have yet to read anything, like any genre she can do. She just wrote a thriller last year and it was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's on my to be read. It got a lot of great critical yeah she she sort of marketed it yeah as a get out meet some rear window and that very much applies i think it's it was a really smart book but Mm -hmm. her series the loyal league is based on like an actual thing from history the loyal league where it was like a network of spies black spies for the union at the time they were not necessarily loyal to the union. They considered themselves loyal to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Slight difference. So it's a three-book series. The last one is tough, not because it's a bad book, but it's just it, it was written right around the time that Trump won. And mm-hmm. it, for yeah. her, as she said in interviews, like, this was a really hard book for me to write. It might not be the easiest book for y'all to read, but it's out there. And I highly recommend them. They're really good. And just, you know, it's amazing that she can weave these beautiful sweeping romances with the Civil War as a backdrop and all of this danger and all this hatred being like sort of a a backdrop for these stories. That's great. This is a new one. This is The Companion by E.E. Ottoman. It's, Mm -hmm. I called it like a cottagecore romance and it very much has (laughs) those vibes. It's it's set in 1949. It's kind of a mid-century and it's a, a story about trans people falling in love it's a thruple it's it's very good it's a a woman who is trying to break into the publishing industry she's trying to become a writer she agrees to be you know take a job as a companion to this other writer and they start developing feelings and then the woman that lives next door she starts developing feelings for her but the two neighbors used to be lovers it's a complex and lovely sort of soft and gentle story with really good trans representation. Oh, I'm into it. Great. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure. This is by Courtney Milan. This book, it's a novella. It's really short. It's fun as hell. Uh, and I included oh. it on this because the main character is 73 years old. So <laughs> we want I we want that. older <laughs> characters. It's very yes. good. She is salty as fuck. <laughs> this is set in 1817. Like, she is salty as fuck. She don't give a shit. 
She don't like men. <laughs> she hates her nephew, who is a genuinely terrible person. <laughs> and like the nephew is staying at this boarding house and the lady that runs the boarding house comes to the aunt the widow to be like you gotta get him out of my boarding house he's the <laughs> fucking worst and she's like i've got an even better idea let's fuck his life up so it's basically <laughs> like these two older women falling in love while trying to take down this awful man and it's really good <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that. And then Cat Sebastian, I'm going to re- recommend because Cat Sebastian writes, oh, so good historical romance. Like, she's got trans romance. She's got gay romance. She's got lesbian romance. She's got sort of. I can confirm Cat Sebastian. Oh, is, she's so good. good. Um, A Gentleman Never Keeps Score is the one I want to recommend. It's set at the tail end of the Regency. It's a former boxer and a bar owner. He's. You know, he's a free black in London, servicing free blacks in London. And he's recruited by a good friend of his. She's like, oh, my God, this guy has this painting of me. It's totally scandalous. If it comes out, I'll be ruined. And he's like, okay, I'll get it back for you. And he goes to, like, rob this, you know, this, I don't think he's titled. He's just wealthy guy who Mm -hmm. used to be sort of like the most distinguished tailor in all of London. And then some stuff about his past came out and it's kind of ruined his rep and now he's a recluse and never leaves so like he's very traumatized and this you know they sort of bond and it's very sweet and very just it's like a bowl of oatmeal of a story just like comfort (laughs) and warmth and love and it's so good so anything really i would say any of cat sebastian's novels are so good Contemporary, these are just my picks, and I am beh- I'm gonna be up front. I'm behind on my reading, so there's been so many books that have come out since these that are probably amazing that I just have not had a chance to get around to. But mm-hmm. one of my favorite series is Alicia Rye, her Forbidden Heart series. It is sort of like just imagine a soap opera. And you know how it's always a town that has a name like, you know, something falls or, you know, it's always got these dramatic names. So it's sort of this and it's these two rival families. So it feels very much like a modern day soap opera. It's kind of part soap opera, part West Side Story about these two kids that are people. They're grown adults now, but they were childhood sweethearts. They kind of had to split up because their families hated each other they went their separate ways and now they're thrown back together but it's so alicia her books are so sexy first of all they are very Mm -hmm. hot very hot but also she deals with things like personal baggage in a really thoughtful way Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i would say like this book has got an interracial intercultural relationship asian american representation anxiety trauma an abusive parent dealing with that Mm. so i think Mm -hmm. it's um the forbidden heart series i would definitely check it out i think the first book is hate to love you Mm -hmm. anna zabo's reverb is another one that i recommend it is a book about a rock star she's a bass player in this rock and roll band she's like a rock goddess she has a stalker so they hire this bodyguard who is a trans man and they fall for each other and there's sort of this mm. I can't really do my job if I'm just being obsessed with you all the time sort of <laughs> yeah. dynamic yeah. and is it's really good it's it's 
one that I would say if you want to read a pansexual transgender romance, that's mm-hmm. the one to start with if you want an intro into that. Talia Hibbert. Oh, Talia Hibbert. <laughs> so good. So good. If you are not reading Talia Hibbert, I don't know what you're doing. She's one of the best contemporary romance Absolutely. Writers, Absolutely. Yeah. She knows modern. She knows, understands modern women. She understands modern. Yeah. She writes modern men, an ideal version of them. She really does. That's what, when Elle was talking about falling in love with men who are written by <laughs> women, that's, that's her character. Yeah, sorry, that's like. Zephyr. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were saying this is a different that's, book. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to wreck. Take a hint, Chloe Brown. I'm actually reading mm-hmm. Take um no, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. I mean I'm reading Take a Hint, Danny Brown now. And it's great. But take a hint, Chloe or take a hint. Get a life, <laughs> Chloe Brown is just so good because we've got a posh woman. She's black. Mm-hmm. She's plus size. You know, she's a bigger girl. She suffers from fibromyalgia. She's had to mm-hmm. deal with, you know all of the people in her life basically walking out on her because they don't want to deal with her chronic illness. She's just so smart and so funny. And, you know, she has this like deep, deep aching sort of loneliness at the core of her. And she hides that so well for so much of the book. And, you know, when she finally like allows herself to become vulnerable to this guy, her superintendent, who is this gorgeous, northern english redheaded artist type with he's got ptsd from an abusive relationship and yeah it's just so good like a beautiful representation of non-toxic masculinity in all Mm. of her books i would say like she really writes like idealized men so is that the first in that series with the, the Brown sisters? Take a hint, Danny yeah. Brown. Yeah, being the second one. So, oh, and that's the connection is they're all yeah. sisters. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. It, and I just, I can't recommend her books enough. I got two more. Uh, so the next one is okay. Zenny by Rebecca Weatherspoon, mm. who I mentioned before. This is sort of a, a standalone, but it's in the same series as Rafe Above My Nanny. But Zenny is such a smart book because it's a modern day marriage of convenience story you don't really get those in a modern contemporary book those are more like yeah she found a really great way yeah (laughs) she really did and it's funny it's smart it's sweet it's refreshing because these people are honest about their feelings you know there Mm -hmm. is conflict but it doesn't come from this sort of misunderstanding of how they feel about each other And I love that in a book. And the fact that these two people, they're both bigger people. They're both bi. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. some excellent pegging in this book. Yes, very good pegging. (laughs) Fat rep, bi rep, (laughs) interracial romance. There's some stuff about dealing with family drama and toxic relationships. It's very, very good. And it's a complex and very layered story. And I just... She packs so much into such a short book. It's awesome. Yeah, can't yeah. Very good. <laughs> God, my to be read list is growing. like freaking exponentially growing. Yeah. yeah. My last one, You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria. It's about two telenovela stars and they have zero on screen chemistry. So they agree to try to work on that behind the scenes. And Ooh. as they're practicing their love scenes, they really start. Like, whoopsie. Subtext becomes text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's really good. And 
Alexis Daria, she's a great writer. She's a New York girl, so we love that. Yeah, I think that was on some Goodreads awards mm-hmm. list or something. And as list far as illustrated year. covers go, that one is gorgeous. It's very, oh yeah. So I have three books. Actually, one's a novella. But my first one is That Could Be Enough by Alyssa Cole. Mm. This is a novella, and it's actually part of a series called Hamilton's Battalion. And it's woman-loving woman historical that's set in the, I believe, that like the early 19th century. And both of the main characters are black women. It's kind of a, a spinoff of Hamilton. It's almost like Hamilton fan fiction mm-hmm. in a way. But it's about this quiet, stern maid who works for Eliza Hamilton. Her name is Mercy Alston. And part of her duties includes taking dictation of the interviews that Eliza Hamilton conducts with people in preserving her late husband's legacy, Alexander Hamilton's legacy. Mm-hmm. So Mercy is there and she's taking notes. She's writing out what comes out of these interviews. And she's determined to live she's determined to live as pain-free a life as possible and as quiet Mm -hmm. a life as possible. And she's happy with like just the little things that she has, right? As a a free woman. And one day her world gets turned upside down (laughs) when a boisterous and beautiful dressmaker shows up to provide an interview in her grandfather's stead. And this woman is just sunshine. She is light. She is like opposites attract type stuff. Andromeda Steel, a great name. Amazing name. It's short. It's a novella. It's so good. And it's people finding happiness. I love it. <laughs> yeah, Alyssa Cole, great writer. So the one that I mentioned earlier where a book smacked me upside the head <laughs> and was like, you were dumb <laughs> and you need to stop <laughs> is Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall. Oh, yeah. This is the one where I was like, maybe only women are capable of writing men who I like. <laughs> And Alexis Hall's like, nah, <laughs> come here. <laughs> Read this queer contemporary romance that I wrote and I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love this. He describes himself as genre queer writer of kissing books, which yeah. I think is perfect. Aww. And Bridgerton fans out there, if you liked the fake dating trope, it's all here. And it has all its own little twists and whatnot that actually make it very fresh things that you don't necessarily expect in a fake dating trope and it is a lot about communication with each other and the way that they feel about each other is never really secret yeah they're very honest with each other about it which is very refreshing and basically it's this dude luke is this hot mess he's tangentially famous because his parents are aging rock stars Mm. and he ends up in the tabloids because He's the child of a rock star, right? And so he gets followed around sometimes. And he's dealing with really bad breakup that included a, a really terrible betrayal of his trust that he has not been able to get over. That's thrown him mm. into a, a gigantic depression for the past five years or so. And he's taken out his feelings in a really unhealthy way, drinking too much, being too mm. publicly seen, all of that. And he gets to a point where he needs to clean up his public image or he loses his job basically because the work that he does has to do with his public image a little bit and he ends up striking a deal with the one guy (laughs) who he knows who could be capable and willing of getting that job done his polar opposite in every way somebody who's respectable and well put together and is a barrister Oliver and it is just it, it is the book fucked me up. Like, <laughs> like I, I got done reading and I was like, I just need to sit here quietly for a while. I love it when that happens, though. It's the best, though. Yeah, it, it was yeah. one of those books that really made me like, holy shit. 
Because it, it's a romance, right? But it's told in the first person, and it's told, it's Luke's story, mm-hmm. Lucian's story. Mm-hmm. And it's about his development of a relationship with Oliver that he's not expecting and not really wanting at first. But it's about him dealing with his depression and pulling himself with the support of his friends, pulling himself out of that depression. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. It's extremely emotional. It's also something I loved about it. It's a little bit longer than I think your general romance book, but it also goes into Oliver, who is seen as this perfect person who has it all together, that it gets into how that is also a mask for him Mm. and a mask that pains him at times and that keeps him from being completely open in relationships as well. And it gets into that and it veers more towards rom-com. That's more of the style, but Alexis Hall is a brilliant dialogue writer. Mm. It is so good. Mm. I laughed so much (laughs) throughout this book because the dialogue is amazing. All the feels that I have for Luke and Oliver's Mm -hmm. love. I haven't done so much blushing and giggling (laughs) (laughs) throughout the book. It just he turned me out. So (laughs) thank you Alexis Hall for doing that. It's an incredible book and I will fight anybody (laughs) who wants to say otherwise. The last one that I have to recommend is actually by Courtney Milan. It's my first that I just finished, The Duke Who Didn't. Mm. And it is Mm. a heterosexual romance. It's a historical romance. It takes place uh, towards the end of the Victorian era in England. It's a country story. It takes place in Kent, this hamlet called Wedgford. And Courtney Milan is Chinese-American, the hero and heroine are Chinese as well. The hero is actually biracial. So there are a lot of really great themes. And as someone who is biracial, something that I appreciate is what the hero is going through in that he's of two places. Mm. And mm. neither are completely accepting necessarily of who he is because he's he's not fully one or the other. Right. right? And that, that's something that a lot of biracial people deal with is like not feeling like you completely belong to one culture or the other. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that in there, and it's it's really she did something really amazing here because it's such a light book, like it's it's refreshing and it's light and it's happy, but the things that she addresses in it are serious things. And mm-hmm. this town, this Wedgford, is a town that immigrants found that was accepting <laughs> of them, so it has mm-hmm. a larger immigrant population. And I think in the book, it says it's like 50% white and 50% other, basically. Mm. But mostly Asian, but people from all over found that, hey, I can live here and people will let me live <laughs> yeah. and leave me alone and like be nice to me. Yeah. And so they kind of built up this really lovely community where everybody gets along. And basically it's about the heroine is Chloe Fong. She's, she's my kind of heroine. She's uptight. <laughs> she's list obsessed. She's like all about organization and getting everything that she needs to get done, done. So she had a childhood friend. They grew up. He left, comes back to town after being away for three years. And actually he was only ever in town for this event that they have in Wedgford, this thing that they call a trial which is really kind of a hide and seek. <laughs> so he would Whoa. only be in town for a week, a year. But during that week, he would spend all of his time with Chloe and then he would go off. At one point in time, he just left and, and hadn't come back for three years. So he comes back and little does she know that he is a Duke, secret Duke. <laughs> and he is intent and has been intent on making her his Duchess. Like he is from the get go, absolutely head over heels in love with this person. 
and he's just trying to find a way to make her see that he's serious about it because again for the Bridgerton fans (laughs) (laughs) if you are into a Colin Bridgerton type then this is your hero because he is pure charisma he is the type of person who will literally take your petticoats off with his charisma (laughs) he is so he's so fun and free and funny and witty and because of all those things she doesn't take him seriously because he's always joking Mm. but it's so it's really nice and there's so much if you like food talk (laughs) there's a lot of it in here because chloe's dad is an incredible chef and that's part of the storyline and so there's a lot of themes that are talked about through food which i love and a lot of really lovely descriptions of meals <laughs> which, which i also yeah. love it's fantastic yeah it's very good also the duke's name is jeremy wentworth the duke of lansing love it. but since he's essentially lied to the entire town because he showed up one day when he was 12 he wasn't really supposed to be there but he was alone he managed to like show up alone and so he's been lying to the town for the entire time and he's actually the duke of where they live like he but they and they all talk shit about him all the time in front of him because they don't know who he is but they all call him posh jim posh Posh jim Jim is what they refer to him as which is also very very cute yeah Courtney milan is very great and she she's just a great writer you just made me think when you're talking about romances that feature food and beautiful descriptions Mm -hmm. of food please read Mm -hmm. sherry thomas uh, her book delicious it is about two cooks falling in love. Ooh. I think it's historical, but it's very, very good. And it's hot. And Sherry Thomas is such an amazing writer. She is an Asian-American woman. And mm-hmm. she has this way of making romance feel very literary. Mm. But she has it's just good. such amazing That's descriptions great. of food in that book. And I'm just like, I'm so hungry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how I was like going through this book. I was like, man, <laughs> what? I want to eat this. And also there's a part where like the dad talks about fermentation, but like in a way where he's talking about how you are who you are. Like there's <laughs> like the like it, it's just I can't even get into it. It's good. Read it. <laughs> Great. So I have a couple. Yeah, I've probably, of the three of us, have read the least in the genre. So my first one is, I think, specifically in the romance genre, but I included some others that I would consider romances, but they, you know, aren't maybe necessarily published in that way. So the first one is, it's The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory. And she is a woman of color, and so is her main character, Alexa Monroe. And they make the Alexa <laughs> joke a lot, which is very cute. So it's the, the meat cute at the beginning is it's almost over tropey, but it swings back to being like a surprise and kind of fun is that she meets her love interest, Drew Nichols, when they get <laughs> stuck on an elevator together. And speaking of snacks, she's got <laughs> snacks in her bag. <laughs> and because she's, you know, a red-blooded woman who <laughs> gets hungry, just like we all do. And she's like immediately super charming to, you know, Drew or whatever. And he has just found out that he's been invited to his ex-girlfriend's wedding and he needs a date. And so he asks her to be his fake girlfriend Love for a fake the night. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So the thing about them that I really liked, Alexa is a woman of color. Drew is a white man. 
they're both these like high powered professionals and they live one lives in Berkeley and one I think is in LA. So it's like far enough that they have to lie to each other sometimes. So as they start kind of realizing they have feelings for each other, what I really loved is that it just felt like they were communicative and like, it just made me think of that TikTok sound. If he wanted to, he would. <laughs> yeah. Like that is how they are with each other. They have very busy lives, but they have happened upon meeting each other and it's the book is really about them kind of carving out time for each other and like you know that being a struggle but it ultimately being just a really fun great thing that they want so it's the first in a series i believe i've not read the rest of the series but i just thought you know what it's like the perfect contemporary it can be done if you're a kind and considerate person and you meet someone you're interested in it doesn't have to be all head games and stuff you can just make this fun sexy relationship happen so then my other ones, like I said, I aren't really traditionally romance. The one is a YA and it came out, I think last year. It's called Camp and it's by Lev A.C. Rosen. And it is a gay romance between two boys at a LGBTQ plus friendly camp. So it's like literally a camp that was made for LGBTQ plus kids and teenagers and tweenagers. So they are both, I'm going to say like they're 16. And the main character is Randy Kappelhoff. So he's been going to this camp for like a couple years and he's always had a crush on this boy, Hudson. His name is Hudson Lim and he is half Korean, I believe. And Randy changes his name and I'm actually kind of thinking, so he's always going by Randy, but I think he goes by, cause his name's like Randall. And I think he goes by like Dell or something. Like he changes it this one summer that he comes. Cause he's like, this is the summer and I'm going to make Hudson Lynn fall this in love with me. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He has traditionally had, or typically had longish kind of hair and he like cuts it into this like kind of boy style and he himself is more of a femme gender, you know, non-conforming personality. But in order to go out with Hudson, he tries to become like a little bit more hyper-masculine. Uh, yeah. Because Hudson is a sporty guy. He's like a jock. I don't know. I just feel like he's like, he's Jacob <laughs> in Twilight. Like he sure is off constantly. Yeah. Also, Hudson is like a bit of a slut. Um, and so right like day one, he like notices Dell or I forget what he shortens his name to, but let's just say it's Dell. He like notices him and Dell's like, yes, my plan is working. And Dell has these really great cabin mates who know what he's trying to do. And they're like, this is bad news, man. This is I'm like not going to work out. You want it to work out. But so anyway, it's just like a fun summer romance. What I really loved about it was that it was this really interesting dive into so yeah so lev ac rosen is a gay writer and it's this examination of masculine versus femininity like within the male gay community and that a femme gay person could be looked yeah. down upon and like you know not being as considered like a man or a boy as a more masculine character and so I just thought that that was to have in a teen book was like so interesting and there is sex in this book and it's so beautifully done it's it's very sweet they are very you know the consent mm. is like a huge thing and it also helps that they're at this super inclusive super progressive wonderful camp that makes all of these things available mm -hmm. to them stresses the importance of 
of consent and they have condoms for everyone and they have sex education being you know a crux of what they're doing this book sounds great yeah (laughs) sounds amazing i loved it it was so fun the friendship in it you know was really fun but yeah so that's the thing too about young adult books young adult books fall under this umbrella of books for young Mm -hmm. adults but within that there are, you know, other genres. And so I would consider this a romance there. So another one is, so this is a graphic novel. And this is called Fangs by Sarah Anderson. So Sarah Anderson has a famous webcomic called Love Sarah's those. Scribbles. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, yeah, you, you might have seen some of her stuff. It's a young girl with like a cat. And that's, you know, and it's like a very like scribbly art style. I was shocked to find out this was the same Sarah Anderson because her style in this book fangs is not very scribbly at all like it's very beautiful and um uh sleek anyway so this is a love story between a vampire and a werewolf i guess you can gender vampires (laughs) and werewolves but it is a um, female vampire and a male werewolf elsie the vampire is 300 years old but in all that time she has never met her match until she meets jimmy who's a charming werewolf and he's kind of like i don't know he just seems like a crunchy like burnout (laughs) kind of like slacker or whatever but he's just very patient with her and um and it's so 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 cute it's very very short you could flip through it in a half an hour but it's so sweet. I feel like it's a perfect Valentine's Day gift or something. It's The cover is red and black. Basically a set of these comic panels about them meeting and falling in love. You know, having a tiny little bit of conflict. But really it's just like a fun, very sweet sort of book. And then one more I wanted to recommend before my last ones, really two more, is The Ooh. Song of Achilles. I think, yes, Bo, I you read that, didn't you? Yes. So it's Madeline Miller. And she also Cersei. wrote yeah. Cersei. Yeah, which is there I mean, as soon as you read one, you're gonna want to read the is other like one. One of my favorite reads, just hands down. The yes. audiobook is amazing. I've listened to it like three mm-hmm. times now. Yeah, and I was just thinking like I wonder if I should read Cersei again. <laughs> but Song of the yeah. Kings is great too. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, they're both, I mean, those are two books that, like, Elle said about the other book. Like, those (laughs) books fucking up. Like, I cannot, I mean, yeah, I love both of them, but I think Song of Achilles made me just absolutely cry to, like, my bones. Ugh, it's so good. So it is historic fiction about ancient Greece. It's really like a kind of perspective telling of the Trojan War. So the main character is Patroclus, and he is kind of like an awkward young prince who has been exiled to the court of King Pel- mm-hmm. King Peleus, King Peleus. And King Peleus is the father of Achilles, and it is the Achilles that we all know with that <laughs> nasty little heel of his. So Patroclus arrives at this court being like kind of shamed, not a friend in the world, but Achilles is this beautiful himbo <laughs> and befriends him right away. Him. And they yes. like, yes, the <laughs> yes, they just have this very sweet, it's really a friends into romance sort of thing. However, Achilles' mother, Thetis, is a yeah. bitch of a sea goddess and she gets in the way and then friggin Helena Sparta I mean there's a lot of like bitches getting in the way I will say <laughs> Helena Sparta you know has been kidnapped and then and then the war starts but Patroclus goes with Achilles to to war and it turns into basically a, a war 
book, like a war romance, which is oh, just really tugs at your heartstrings. And I, I did, I wrote down this one quote that I, I just think about this quote sometimes. It says, our joy was so bright, we could see nothing but each other. And it was just like, the fact that this is a book about a gay romance involving basically like Greek mythological mm-hmm. characters the fact that I could find something that articulated something that I could point to and, you know, in a past relationship mm-hmm. or whatever of mine, it's just the beauty of reading, essentially. And then the last book that I wanted to recommend is obviously not the least, but <laughs> it's a banger, as they say. It's Aww. Modern Love um, by Bo North. And yeah, honestly, and I will say like, you know... Bo and Elle and I have been friends for a while, and I remember getting to know the circle of friends that we have. I was definitely like, yeah, romance is like not a thing that I seek out to read. It's just not. Oh, no. Oh, no, Erin. Were you not like the other girls? <laughs> I wasn't. No, I was like, guys, I was like, listen, listen, my brain is for different things, okay? Love, ew. But no, I was just like, you know, I'm not like, what, whatever. Right? But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was some internal misogyny <laughs> in there. When do I not right. have to deal with that? Yeah, but um, knowing that Bo wrote books, I was like, oh, well, let me check out this one. And holy smackers. I literally think about this book. I don't know. I feel like Aww. every couple weeks I like think about a line from this book or like the, I just love the characters. So the characters as <laughs> Bonos <laughs> the, <laughs> are... Alice Aberdeen, and she is an art student, and she has suffered some addiction issues, and she has been recently dumped by her girlfriend, and she's like, you know what, done with love, no, you know, I'm just gonna, like, focus on my studies, we've all been there, but she is set up with the tall, dark, and mysterious, not so mysterious, actually, he's pretty (laughs) affable, Will Murphy. And he's, like, intrigued by her because she's, you know, like, loud and, like, she's witty and, like, doesn't take shit from anyone or whatever. But she thinks he's, like, this boring, you know, super reserved kind of quiet guy or whatever. He's half Indian, half Irish, right? Yeah. And he just seems like a, I don't know, a beautiful person, but he, you know, he has things that he's dealing with too. And he's got to deal with her like tough exterior. And I just really like them both. So it just, it feels like a, <laughs> a real, like they both feel very real. And then you want to be cheerful. I call both. it mommy issues, the book. yeah there's definitely that in there but yeah but yeah that's a another example of you know real trauma that people deal with and it being it's not you know it's not like their personality trait or anything it's just like shit they have to deal with like Mm -hmm. that's where the conflict is it doesn't have to be you know this kind of crazy thing it's just like human natural human yeah self-conflict yeah, it really themselves. is a lovely story oh, thank you um, one of the tenets of romance really uh, of anything is is learning to love yourself and learning who you are mm-hmm. and i think that's mm-hmm. something that you find mm-hmm. in every single romance that's been written is really like yeah it, and this goes back to jane austen when elizabeth bennett says until that moment i never knew myself and that's really mm-hmm. what it's all about. It's mm-hmm. about all of these all of these stories are about self-discovery. Yeah. And, and not mm-hmm. being able to actually truly open up to mm-hmm. others until you understand yep. yourself and where your bullshit comes from. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Right. Because that's, that, that's a huge yeah. thing that a lot of these characters go through, most of yeah. them. And one more, yeah. we kind of talked about it, and I figure we might as well recommend it officially. <laughs> we'll have to be a little bit careful because I believe Bo's in the middle of reading. Oh. But Talia Hibbert's Take a Hint, Danny Brown. Mm-hmm. I'm technically oh, not no. finished okay. either, but which, is, we, which we, is why I didn't we recommend can do, We can do some broad strokes here. <laughs> I I yeah, like totally, it. totally. <laughs> Yeah, because even if, if you're not finished, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you're enjoying oh, it. Oh, very much. Yes, absolutely. It, it'd yeah. be hard not to enjoy this book or this hero. Take a Hit, Danny Brown is the follow-up to Get a Life, Chloe yeah. Brown. And Danny Brown mm-hmm. is Chloe Brown's sister. Danny is very driven. She is a professor. She takes her work very seriously. She's almost a workaholic. too seriously. It is the focus mm-hmm. of her life. So much so that it's disruptive to her relationships and disruptive to her romantically. And she's still trying to get over a relationship that she was in that didn't work out because she prioritized her work and couldn't figure out how to make that balance work with somebody. One day, there is, I believe, a fire in the building that she works in, at the university that she works in, and a very sweet security guard who she has a friendly relationship with, they chit-chat in the mornings, ends up carrying her out of the building, and it gets filmed by somebody's cell phone, and it goes viral. The moment goes viral that he's this hero who's carried this woman out of this burning building. And it so happens that that little bit of fame that they got from going viral is very helpful to the both of them and the, the things that they're trying to do with their lives. So they decide mm-hmm. to do a fake relationship <laughs> for the gram. Yeah. <laughs> yep, let's it's call all for the, the gram. gram. But hey, you know, when you get into a fake relationship, the danger is. <laughs> yeah. And the real yeah. attraction is there. Like they both kind of admit that up front. Yeah, and so they yeah. are communicative with each other, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Zafir is the hero and he's a dream. He's a dream. Yeah. Just imagine if men could be like this. (laughs) The fantasy. I mean, the personal ethics Mm. that I would be willing to compromise (laughs) to weird science, Zephyr, into (laughs) reality. Won't even get into it. Well, and this is my, I already made this tweet that I'm begging Rahul Coley, who played in The Haunting of Bly Manor, please. Please be our Saphir. My Saphir. Yeah. Our, our, our Saphir. All of our Saphir. <laughs> like, you, I mean, you are in my so head. so beautiful anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, like, in that charming, sweet, because Saphir is a very, mm-hmm. like, sentimental and character. Speaking yeah. of romance, he loves romance That was one of my favorite books. parts. When he gets accidentally yeah. caught listening to a romance <laughs> book. <laughs> She's like, are you listening yeah. to me? <laughs> Like, yeah, no. it's very sweet. He is just the absolute yeah. sweetest. And like, just imagine if you were with somebody who was emotionally intelligent. I mean, <laughs> the dream. Yeah. Yeah. The, dream. The, the absolute dream. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against my husband, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, do- he yeah. does pretty but, well. But yeah, she, she just, she writes great dudes. She really does. And mm-hmm. women as well. Danny is a black woman. She's also bi. And it's it does a great job in those respects too, and she's also a witch, which is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was something I, I, I was happy to see, like some different sort of religious representation. In yeah, this book. it's really lovely yeah. in that book. So yeah, so go and read those books. <laughs> Do yourself a favor <laughs> because they're all great, mm-hmm. even the ones I haven't read. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you'll like them. Do you suffer from habitual constipation? fevers, or ill headaches? Forget about it! Now you can take it ease with Syrup of Figs, the most elegant laxative and juice out there. 
Do you suffer from one of the many ills depending on a weak or inactive condition of the kidneys, liver, stomach, or bowels? Forget about it! Syrup of figs cleanses the system effectually so that pure blood, refreshing sleep, health, and strength naturally follow. Visit gettingfiggywithit.com today to sign up for your first month's supply of the treat you eat to excrete. Every episode, except for maybe one <laughs> or two, accidentally, <laughs> we like to do a character spotlight on, you know, the kind of side characters that exist in Bridgerton who we absolutely love because not a single character in Bridgerton, I feel, went to waste. Mm. They are all very compelling. Right. And this episode, we would like to do a spotlight on Queen Charlotte, Golda Rochevel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I amazing. think she was one of my favorite parts of Bridgerton, honestly. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Her mm-hmm. scenes with the king were so yes. good because she's such yes. this, you know, she's such a tough and sort of like, yeah. you know, she is this very regal presence throughout the the series. And mm-hmm. when she has these mm-hmm. moments of like, you see this pain in her mm-hmm. at seeing like what her husband has become. It's so heartbreaking. And it's it is. It's, mm-hmm. And they do it. It's done so well. It's not mm-hmm. over the top. It's not done for. It's not there to like manipulate you. It's it's like a real. No. It's not a manufactured angst. Yeah, and very quickly you get the impression that there's is a love story. Mm-hmm. There's is a, a lifelong romance, and because of his medical conditions, because he has mm-hmm. either like dementia or Alzheimer's, something along those mm-hmm. lines, that he is slipping away from her. Mm-hmm. And they do it in a couple of scenes in total, mm-hmm. I think. But you very quickly mm-hmm. get the impression that she's going through her own pains that probably contribute to part of the mask that she wears and also contribute to why she makes some of the decisions she makes mm-hmm. when it comes to other characters as well. Yeah. Like when Simon and Daphne are pleading their case for their marriage license or whatever they call it. I forget what the they call it. The special license, yeah. Yeah, the special license. Mm-hmm. Of course, when she sees how much love there is, she's moved Mm -hmm. yeah because she herself knows that love so yeah she's just every single scene that she's in and they she's peppered in she's you know you you only get a little Mm -hmm. bit of queen charlotte but every single time she's on that screen my heart is just full those costumes and those wigs that she wears those are so ornate and like incredibly you know intricate that they could you know very easily wear her but like she is wearing those costumes like she feel like that is such a nod to the sort of artistic hair culture that exists yes. in you know oh, in yeah. black spaces and african-american spaces like that is such mm-hmm. a like nod to that and at the fact yeah. that you know the mm-hmm. wigs were pretty elaborate back in the day but the regency i think wigs mm-hmm. had kind of really gone out the window by that point yeah she's kind of a like the, the holdover yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i think yeah. honestly those wigs belong at a museum oh they're like, amazing they, there they're should be so a well done about those mm-hmm. wigs yeah, we in, I think maybe in the last episode, I had found this article by the, I can't remember if it's the hairstylist or who it was on, on the set of Bridgerton, but even just looking at one of the wigs, so it was the wig that she wears at the mm-hmm. wedding of Simon and Daphne, there are mm-hmm. locks 
in it, and then there are bows, and then at the top there is a cave yeah. with two lovebirds. There's so much <laughs> symbolism in in every aspect of her, of what she's wearing, that it's like, I don't know, they, they used that costuming very, very well. Yeah, and Queen Charlotte is played by actress Golda Rochevel. I have a quote here that I, I love a lot. She said, there's not a lot of us around who are gay, female, black, and I'm very privileged and blessed to be one of them, oh, which is that. great. She's married to mm-hmm. playwright Shireen Mula. And just like Adjua Ando, she spent most of her career treading the boards and has been mm-hmm. in theater productions like Porgy and Bess, mm-hmm. Macbeth, The Winter's Tale, Romeo and Juliet, your standards. And in 2018, she was in a production of Othello where she played a lesbian Othello, oh. which must have been fantastic. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so she's just a badass <laughs> oh person. God. Yeah, yeah. Most of her screen work is in TV, mostly British TV. Do you want to take a guess what British show she was in, Erin? <laughs> give you one guess. Uh, could it be EastEnders? <laughs> Yay! When every single British actor has been in EastEnders. EastEnders <laughs> and Midsummer Murders. Those are the two. Also, that's right. It's right of passage. <laughs> She's been in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a rite of passage. She was also in. I need to watch this because I didn't realize that there was a newer take on Lady Macbeth. It stars Florence Pugh, apparently, from 2016. She's in that. It's not actually oh, cool. about Lady Macbeth. It's sort of, oh. yeah, it's it's different. It's good, though. Okay. I would... I have to, I have to watch yeah. it. Yeah. I found it very satisfying in the way that I found Midsommar very satisfying. Ooh, yeah. I definitely have to oh, watch nice. it now. Nice, nice. But it's, it, it is a tough watch in places. Oh, yeah. boy. Well, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, and she was also in... I love when this happens. So the silent witness is basically like a British CSI mm-hmm. <laughs> about forensic mm-hmm. investigators. It's a show that's been on forever. It's a serial crime drama, but she's actually played two completely different roles <laughs> in two completely different story arcs. On like Terry O'Quinn in the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She just popped on and like came back with a wig on and like, I'm someone else. <laughs> and we believed it because they're great. Yeah. But she is fantastic. And I think, Again, Bridgerton has a lot of British actors who have a lot a big like theater background. Mm. And I think that that mm-hmm. is part of why the show feels so dynamic and why all of the characters, even the side characters, feel so full mm. because they bring a different sensibility to acting. They're much bigger actors mm-hmm. and she commands that screen when she's on. Oh it. yeah. And when she and Lady Danbury are together, it's almost too oh, much. Oh, it's the best. It's like oh my gosh. It's yeah. like I can't even with those two. <laughs> Which is great because, well, it's not going to be them as actors, but we also just recently got the news that there's going to be a prequel spinoff <laughs> of Bridgerton that is going to be about Queen Charlotte. and Queen Charlotte, Lady mm-hmm. Danbury, and Lady Bridgerton. Yeah. Yep, and I'm so into it. Like, can you imagine? I want them to, like, be friends and solve crimes. <laughs> I want them. Yeah. I want young Lady Violet. And young Viscount Bridgerton to be there and be horny yes. for each other. Like I, I, like, I want it. They didn't have all those kids by accident. No, and she's she's right. already said like, hey, you know, it's okay to do stuff before marriage. I couldn't contain yeah. my passions. Mom. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I just really love that. You know, the creators out there are like. Give them what they want, we and that's want, what we, we want. want. See, we want these three ladies, see like, freaking chewing scenery and doing yes, everything. Absolutely. Yes, please. Usually, this part of the podcast is me terrorizing Aaron. 
<laughs> I know. I was going to say, I feel you, like you can, I always like, bite my nail with this part. <laughs> but now I get to terrorize Aaron and Bob All right. With a little yeah. game of Would You Rather. Okay. So, Aaron and Bo, would you rather be a poor country cousin under the care of Lady Featherington and dress solely in the hand-me-downs of the Featherington daughters, or be Simon Bassett's, the Duke of Hastings, favorite horse? (laughs) 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 Wow. Wow, 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 wow. So feel free to take your time unpacking. I can provide some information if you want. All right. So the options are be cousin of the Featheringtons. Mm -hmm. Like a marina type, except you're not pregnant. And Lady Featherington, because you're not pregnant, isn't as mean Mm -hmm. towards you. Yeah, Yeah. she's not like a a beehole to me. Yeah. But I got to wear some kind of uggo (laughs) Yeah, you're... You're wearing Dresses. not her hand-me-downs because her clothes are pretty. Yeah, her clothes are great. The hand-me-downs of her daughters. Okay. Or <laughs> be Simon Bassett's horse. Favorite horse. I mean, favorite horse, as played by Reggie on Page. I'm assuming. Always. Okay, um, thank you. Well, okay. I, just for me, I think I'm going to go with cousin. I, as much as I would love to have Simon sit on me. Um, <laughs> I mean, if he wants to come sit on me, he can ride me around like a pony all day. How, however, that's true. I actually love the gaudiness of the Featherington. I love their tackiness. I I really just kind of love everything about the Feathertons. So that's where I'm going. If I get to wear some of those hideous yellow dresses, I'm in. All right. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna be a horse. <laughs> And the reason is because A, L already knows that I'm a dirty bird when it comes to some stuff. But B, I can see, like, if it's it's his favorite horse, that he's going to, like, really unload some, like, emotional, you know what I mean? I'm going to get that, like, intimacy with him. And then also, like, I'm going to see him when he's, like, mad and he, like, wants to ride out to his country estate because that's where everyone goes when they, like, need time to Mm. stew over everything. And, you know, I don't know, just, like, the two of us riding across those fields together. Yeah, I mean, he probably, like, hand feeds you at least a couple times in your <laughs> Getting life. all sweaty. Yeah, I get, like, and you all, you both know how into apples I am. Like, I went, I basically had, like, a monologue in our group chat the other day about the freaking kind of apples well, I'm into. Well, it's an important topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. It is a very important topic. I, I like, can't I be friends with people that like Red Delicious apples. I just can't. No. <laughs> right. Yeah, Red Delicious right. are trash apples. Oh, yeah. Like, they they're are... compost. Yeah. I won't even eat them for free. Like... <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, if you get one in like a free like catering lunch bag, it's like, They ew. are so hateful, and I don't know why Toss they're so that. prominent. Not ridiculous. Petition to make a name change, that's for sure. I am not surprised that you would rather be Simon Bassett, Reggae Jean Page's horse, than a person. Listen, I think we know where my loyalties lie in this whole show. Something you should know, Bo, is that, is that uh, as well as rather being a horse. Oh boy. If she can, if she can be close to Simon Bassett, she would prefer... She would prefer to be with Simon Bassett 
even if when he came, it was shit that came out of his <laughs> penis, <laughs> rather than be married to Nigel Burbank. Well, well, okay. Yeah. See, you see where I am. I mean, but it's, Nigel, it's a would you rather for a reason? Yeah. I didn't like carve out that option. It was just the other one was so bad. I mean, yeah, that's pretty gross, but you know, yeah. Again, I feel like you would get some. You would get like this emotional intimacy by having to like deal with that. Having with sex with Nigel would also be gross in a different <laughs> yeah. way. So true, yeah. right? Plus, they had condoms yeah. back then. Exactly. Yeah, you can make yeah. it work is what I'm saying. Would it be the the best thing? Yeah. No. But I could live with it. No. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, those are those are fair responses. <laughs> kind of what I expected from Mary. <laughs> there, there was a period of time, and I, I promised myself to stop trying to see how far Erin will degrade herself in order to not marry Nigel Burbrook. To not have, yeah, to not have sex yeah. with Nigel Burbrook. So I've stopped using Nigel pretty far because as the answer. I already know that it, <laughs> whatever the other option is, is going to be the other option. Yeah. <laughs> this was a good, I mean, geez. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even, I don't even know which one I would choose. Because, like, even if I was beholden to Lady Featherington in her household as some lower poor gentry, I'd still have a chance, I think, of making a decent match yeah. and making a decent life for myself. Because I'd be going to oh, the same functions yeah. that she's going to. But if you were Simon Bassett's favorite horse, he probably would pet you on the snoot. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> he would give you such he great would give pets. You so many good pets on your snoot. Yeah. So many brushes, and he would do it. He wouldn't have his servants yeah. do it if you're his favorite. But the thing is, there, there's always would, the like, chance, though. There's you. always the chance that you might have some injury, and he's gonna have to shoot you in the head. He would never. He would <laughs> I never. Say so. I don't know. I think <laughs> the prospect him. of hanging out with Penelope is just too much for me. I, oh, I need. Yeah, true. I, I would, I would <laughs> yeah that's true. I She's think I a would great be character. A cousin. I think I would, and just make the best of the situation. Yeah. Because Penelope is cool. She's she's a good friend. Yeah. Until you try to. Fuck yeah. Her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then which, which you know a good fair boundary. enough. Good boundary to have. <laughs> well, thank you so much for yes. coming on, Bo. This was such a great. Oh my god! Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to plug? while you're here i mean i guess you can find my books um at my website bonorthrights.com or links to all of my books i you know sell amazon itunes whatever or ibooks all of that nook and then my writing at the spool the spool.net where i write about television so that's really pretty much what i've got going on i also have another podcast with megan sunday called let's get weirding where we are working our way through Frank Herbert's Dune series chapter by chapter and we are kind of over halfway done with Children of Dune at this point so you know really interesting crossover there (laughs) romance and Dune those two things do not exist in the same universe speaking of writing terrible unrealistic sex let's just don't expect to find it in Dune it's a great podcast and I may be biased but (laughs) Bo and Megan are yes. funny, insightful, and if you like listening to us, you'll probably like listening to them. Yeah, we have fun. We have fun. Yeah, and also they have, if you want to support them further, they do have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. We do have and a Patreon. I am on an episode of their Lost 
podcast that yeah. is available on their Patreon. We talked about Saeed's hair <laughs> a lot. And his glistening <laughs> skin. Yes. <laughs> I mean, but how yeah. could you not yeah. look at him? I was very glad to watch the episode of Lost that <laughs> I got to watch for that podcast because it had the perfect amount of Saeed, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Chock full of Saeed. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Yay. This was thank, uh, you. thank you for coming on and being an expert in your field. <laughs> mm-hmm. A thousand expressions of gratitude for joining us on this episode, dear listeners. And thank you next to filmmaker, activist, and friend of the show, Kwame Phillips, for gracing us each episode with his ducal vocalism. You can check out more of his work at KwamePhillips.com. That's K-W-A-M-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. And you can reach out to us via Twitter, Instagram, and email at TonTalkPod. That's T-O-N-T-A-L-K-P-O-D at gmail.com and social media. Until next time, XOXO, Aaron and Elf.